if a person was a prophet in Israel and then left Israel, he could still have prophecy. Ezekiel was, was in Babylonian. Yefesco was in Babylonian. Um, now somebody's going to say, what about Moshe? The Torah was, right? Was in Egypt, right? That was before months. That was before they went to Israel. But that's still a fair question. Prophecy is like, is an experience we don't have anymore. By the way, one of the reasons that we don't have prophecy is because when, in order to have prophecy, you had to go to prophecy school. Oh, that's what happened. You had to go and train by a prophet. There were certain meditations that you had to learn. Yeah, you had to, I'm not, we're not talking about prophecy tonight, but it's just, I think it's important to understand the first piece of Gemara. I think it's important to understand this. We don't, when we think of prophecy, I think most of us think about a person who's sitting and all of a sudden they're like, you know, in a trance or something like that. To, to be a prophet, you had to be a very religious person. You had to study a lot of Torah and do mitzvahs. You had to be like considered a holy Jew. But you had to, and there were some exceptions, which I'll mention, but you had to go to literally prophecy school. You had a person like uh, Isaiah, Yeshayahu, or Jeremiah, Yemio, who were known prophets, and they would sit and teach the people who wanted to be a prophet how to get there, what meditations you need, and how to know when you're getting it, or how to know how to act when you're reaching prophetic whatever. But there was one trick to this. I mean, two tricks. First of all, you could try all day, and you might not get it. So it wasn't like a person who goes to be ordained with smicha, rabbinic you know, ordination. Rabbinic ordination, you go, you study the material, you have a test, and you pass the test, then you are a rabbi, right? It's not like that with prophecy. You could study, do everything, be there on top of the deal, and you never have a prophecy. There are also two types of prophecies. There was prophecies that the entire world needed. Those are the ones which are written down. And then you had a person who was an individual prophet, but it wasn't his message or wasn't the message that the entire world needed. I have to get my glasses, I'm sorry. But there was one other caveat. You had to be happy. You had to have simcha. If you were not in heavy simcha, you could not be a prophet. And that was why King David had a harp by his bed and always had a harp with him. Like if you notice his songs that talk about King David with his harp and we think about the imagery that was in the harp, the reason was is that prophets used to have musicians with them all the time because it's all music makes you happy. And therefore, if you wanted to get into this state of potential prophecy, you had to be happy. Comes the destruction of the base on And we are not happy. We're not, even though we might think we're happy. But you know, you put on the news. Just one second. Hi, Danny. Yeah, I'm just doing a share. So, so we're just not happy. We think we're happy, but we're not.
We're depressed. How many people, not here, but what's the percentage, what's the number of people that take antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, everybody's edgy and everything's like, it's a problem. That's why, by the way, the Svardim do Birchat Kohanim even outside of Israel, right? You guys do it every day, even here. Ashkenazim don't. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? We don't do it. There's only we only do it on the big holidays. On the big Yom Tov. That's because we don't believe that we're happy enough to be able to do Birchas Kohan. Because you have to be Bisimcha when you do it. And we're not even at that level. In other words, we're not talking about prophetic level of happy. We're just talking about just not ready to to kill ourselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't mean kill ourselves. But I'm saying, you know, just just a, a little happy, just a little happy. We're just not there. We're just we're just not there. So the Svardim. So I'm I'm not. I don't know how this evolved because this has to do with the evolution of halacha. But the Svardim felt that you have to give a bracha to another Jew, and therefore they do it. But we don't, and that's the reason behind it. Yes. But wasn't Yirmiyahu like? Like killed? Historically sad? Like all of his No, life. I don't think he was sad. Like he, he lived that's in a very depressing time. And he, had a, he had a negative, he had a, his, there is the prophet Isaiah, Yeshayo, is known as the prophet, the prophet of, 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 consul, of consoling. He was talking about a lot of his prophecies about Mashiach and about how things are going to be good consoling the Jewish people. And and Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, was the prophet of, of Echa, of lamentations, of what's going to be. He and he had the visions of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. But in order to be in that state, you're asking a very deep question. You're saying, since a Navi, and I'll show it, the Rambam says it is straight, in halacha, to be a Navi, you have to be Basimcha. So how could he have a Nevuah of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash and be Basimcha at the same time? I don't know. It's a good question. You stumped me for sure. And tomorrow, Shabbos, it'll be in my mind because it's a very good question. We don't have prophecy anymore. Could it be he had so, no Bechira in it? That it was just had to be a message even if he wasn't? No, no, he had no Bechira. That's, it's, it's a message. But we were just talking about how a prophet has to be happy. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, but we don't even understand what a prophecy is. Before he started the, uh, and once it starts, then it finishes. Maybe. I, maybe. I'm not going to say no because I have no clue. But we don't have prophecy anymore. Then there's another next level. There's a thing called the Basco. When that stopped, it was like a heavenly echo. Okay. We talk about people today who have a thing called Ruach HaKodesh, which means some kind of spiritual thing. There's a famous story with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The, uh, I don't know, you guys are, as I get older every year and the people are younger around me, it's like, like, uh, you know, I'll talk about events and the people don't even know what I'm talking about. So we'll try it. You know, there was, um, President Abraham Lincoln. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> so there was a very, very powerful Israeli general. His name was Arik Sharon. Arik Sharon was a. Uh, he was the, the Arabs were petrified of the man. He was extremely right wing, and he was a very brave 
Jewish modern day warrior. Something happened. I don't know what it was. Who knows? I, if you want, if you're a religious person, then you would say that there's a verse that says the heart of the king is in the hand of God, which means that while a, a, each person has has freedom, we have two types of freedom. There's the personal freedom of choice, the personal destiny, freedom of bechira, but there's also a national. Bechira, a universal, like things have to happen. So they go together. On one side, there's your personal freedom, and on the other side, there's a national freedom. If you're the president of, of the United States, you have personal Bechira, but, there, but there's a different element taking place also because if things have to happen, if America has to go into recession, if that's what's decreed by the master of the universe, then you might make certain political blunders because of what God wants to happen on an international scale. So there's two things taking place. So there was this person, Arik Sharon, who himself, he was not, I, I, maybe he was, he was very traditional. And he was very right wing. And later on in his life, he was the one who gave away the West, uh, the Gaza, the Gaza Strip. And it's a lot of very interesting history. If you should read about him, Arik Sharon. So when he came to America, I think it was in 1978, maybe we can look that up if anybody cares. In 1980, I don't know, Arik Sharon came and he met the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, it was not unusual for political people, for politicians, when they came to America to go and visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Okay? It wasn't unusual. First of all, because he's a great Sadiq, but also because of his political weight. I mean, the Lubavitcher Rebbe did not follow one political, uh, one political party. It wasn't like Chabad was a Likud in Israel or whatever or labor. He followed whatever whoever he felt was the proper leader for the time. He also was very he was very influential in Israel. So so as a combination of going to see a holy man and also for political purposes, it was not unusual. There's a long video you can watch online of Netanyahu with the Rebbe. It's, it was not an unusual thing. Even Dinkins went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He would, Dinkins was the uh, a mayor who was a near do well mayor, right? And did anybody ever hear Dinkins? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it was a common thing. So Arik Sharon goes to him, and the Rebbe tells him not to take the flight that he was supposed to go back to Israel on. Told him that, don't take that flight. That flight was hijacked. So obviously the relationship between the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Arik Sharon changed substantially. Uh, so I heard... You can listen to this online. Somebody asked the rebel, like, did you have prophecy? Like, what was he said he didn't have prophecy. He just had a deep down feeling that he should not go on that plane. He was a holy man. You understand? Yeah, he was a holy man. The Gemara is loaded with much deeper prophetic vision, but it's not prophecy. It's 
because prophecy ended at the time of the destruction of the base of Mikdash before this was written. We had this information. This is the royal law. So I'm going to show you something right now because I wanted to learn today. We're starting. It's Megillus Esther's and Purim's in two weeks, right? So I wanted to spend this week and next week on different interesting Gemaras in Gemara Megillah. So the first one I'm going to show you, it's not really about Megillus Esther, but it's just, it, it, I imagine that the reason it's found here is because Haman wanted to destroy the Jews. Where was Haman from? He was from Aesop. Okay, and we're going to learn something right now that you're going to see, and you're going to, it's going to open your eyes a bit. Now, the Gemara was written, important to know, it, the, the Babylonian, okay, so the, the Mishnah was written in the year 55 of the Common Era. Okay? That's right before the destruction of the Temple. It was therefore at the time that Jesus was alive, Yimach Shema, I'm just saying, you know. The Jerusalem Talmud was written not that much later, in about, if I'm not mistaken, about 105 of the Common Era. Babylonian Talmud is 400 years later. That's one of the reasons why we learned primarily the Babylonian Talmud, because it was written later, so the information that's found in it incorporates the Bab Jerusalem. I'm learning the Jerusalem Talmud right now in Brachas. It's fascinating. But if you, know, if you know the Babylonian, it makes it easier to learn the Yerushalmi. Look over here, bottom of the page, first thing. If you want, if not, I'll just read it to you. This is a discussion... That, um, that Yaakov has with God. It's um, two lines from the bottom. The verse says, Al-Titain Hashem Ma'avas Rosha Zemama Al-Tefek. What does that mean? Omar Yitzchak. I'm sorry, Omar Yaakov. You see the last three lines on this? The verse says, to translate it in English, the verse says before, do not grant Esau the wicked the desire of his heart. Okay? That's what the verse says. Don't let Esau get the desire of his heart. Do not remove his nose ring. Okay? That's what the verse says. There's such a verse. Okay? It happens to be in Tehillim. So what is this referring to? That Yaakov is begging God, don't let Esau get his way. Look at this one inside. Omar Yaakov Yaakov says to God, Master of the universe, Don't let Esau, you're going to like this, you came just at the right moment. Don't let Esau get what he wants. Zamama Altefa, don't let the nose ring lead. Turn the page. You know who this is talking about? I'll let you read the words. Garmamia Shel Edo, Germany. That's what that's talking about. Germany. You hear this? This is written. The Gemara was written 2,000 years ago, basically. Right? 1,800 years ago, something like that. And the Gemara is saying that Yaakov says, God, don't let, don't let. Germany get loose. If Germany gets loose, if they are not put in their place, they will destroy the entire world. 
That is the power, that is the makeup of Germany. Every country, by the way, I'm not making this up. When it says Germania, it's not that it just sounds like Germany in the back of the Gemaras, and it's, I'm sure it's in the English over here. Yeah, Rav Yaakov Emden. Rav Yaakov Emden, he writes, this is a reference to Germany. Rav Yaakov Emden lived 300 years ago. So this was like a known phenomenon that within the DNA structure of the country, like if you take America, right? If I asked you, if I asked anybody, tell me about the DNA. What is the, the, what is the nature of America? What is the beast that is America? What would you say? Capitalism. It's capitalism. What did, what was his name? Hold on, he was fat, tra, uh, tra, uh, Taft. What did he, what did he say? The, the business of America is business. That's what he said. That's the nature of America. Capitalism, which really in essence is hedonism, right? Power through hedonism, but extreme <coughs> power. America is Asov. It's just not an evil, it's not the evil component of Asov at this moment in time. But America is Asov. You think about it, you know, if, uh, weaponry, napalm, any terrible weapon America has really very massive. I'm not anti-America. I think America is an exceptional country, and I believe in exceptionalism. So it's not that I'm like going to start ragging on America right now. No, no, no. But America is capitalistic, hedonistic. That's what guides. That's what makes it. That's what makes it tick. You know. I think it's also a land that's based on. Everybody does what they want. There's individuality. It's, it's called rugged individualism, right? That's the nature of the country. Therefore, it was very hard in World War II to get American GIs to shoot people, to kill people. It was a big problem. They weren't ready to kill people. There was a study that was done that after, in Vietnam, it was easier for Americans to kill people. And they said it's mostly because of movies and TV where you've seen so many people being shot and killed, it's easier to do it. World War II, they had a, it was a big problem in the beginning. I mean, until, until the Americans saw all the atrocities and they came you know, front and center with the Germans. But that, I think that's the nature of America. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Think of a different country. There's nobody here from Puerto Rico, right? Nobody here from Puerto Rico? So my cousin is from Ecuador, right? Josh's wife is from Ecuador. And everybody who's Hispanic who I've ever met from any of the Hispanic, whether it's the islands or South America, they all perceive Puerto Rico, Puerto Ricans as being lazy and non-working and just not, you know, like contributing. I don't know if it's true or not. But that's that's what they all tell me. I don't know, you know. I mean, if you think about it, the hardworking people you know are Mexicans. A lot of Mexicans are very hardworking. Ecuadorians here, not Mexico. <laughs> so different countries have different. They have different com, com, you know makeup. The makeup of Germany is to hate Jews, to destroy the world. But, but but to destroy the world. I mean, they, they did World War One. They, they you would think that was enough. How many people were killed in World War One? Anybody know? It's like 
What a crazy number. Crazy number. This is what the Gemara is saying. Now you're going to ask a question. I'm waiting. How many? Does the Gemara say how many were killed also? No, it doesn't do that. But you're going to see a next line, which I find really fascinating on this. This is, let me just ask the question here. Uh, how many Germans were killed in World War One? Two million thirty-seven thousand German soldiers, according to 1914 to 1918 online, International Encyclopedia of the First World War. Two million thirty-seven thousand German soldiers were killed in World War One. Now, wouldn't that be enough to stop? <laughs> right? Two million people, soldiers, get killed. And you're starting 20 years later? I think it's, what is it? From 1917, World War I ended in 17. 19, 19. No, no, it wasn't. 21? No, it was 1917. I think it was, well, we're going to find out. We don't know. And when was World War I over? It was uh, November 11th, 1918. 1918 to 1938 is how many years? 20 years. You lost, you lost 20, I mean, you lost 2 million soldiers. 20 years. Like, and now you're starting up again? That's crazy. They waited for them to be more soldiers around. That's, that's, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah, think about it. Like, the people yeah, were born then. Right. 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 They were people like, like 20 years old. World War I. Fresh. Fighting World War II. Didn't even see it. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. No, but you would think the parents, the parents lost every, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to start doing, like, again, like, what's the percentage of that? But it's, a cra- it's crazy, because that's in the blood. And the Gemara talks about, which we're not going to do now, but how many different city-states there were in Germany, which if you know anything about the history of Germany, that's what it was, that they were all city-states fighting with each other until Bismarck came, whatever. But that's, that's what the Gemara talks about, which is just totally crazy. Then I'm just going to read it, because it's just, to me, I mean, I have my own personal interpretation, which is probably not right, but I just, I just see the the juxtaposition. Yeah, which is that this Gemara is right after this Gemara. But I'm Rab Yitzchak. I'm just going to read it because I find it. It's a beautiful Gemara. You have to know anyway. But I just find it the fact that it's right after Germany. He says, It sounds like. Churchill laughed that would have said this. If a person would say, Yogati, I tried, and I didn't succeed, do not believe that person. Don't believe him if he says he tried and he didn't succeed. If a guy says, I didn't work hard, and I found, don't believe him. Don't believe him. Yogati, Umatsasi, Tamin. The Gemara says, but if a person says, I worked hard and I found, then you believe him. I found it to be interesting because it sounds like the RAF right next to the Germans, how they worked, you know, they were willing to do everything to, to be saved, you know, to save their country. Anyway, to me, I find that to be a. a so now somebody's going to say, if this is true, which it is, then that would mean that the rabbis or anybody who studied the Gemara and Megillah knew that the Germans were a loose cannon that at any given time could ever kill everybody. 
wouldn't that mean that you would want to get the hell out of there when there were signs of war taking place? Wouldn't I mean that's what that's what that would lead you to think, right? What? Yeah, no, there's a till of the hunt. I'm saying like right. you could question why didn't people just run, right? I think I think that we just it, they didn't believe it. They they just they didn't believe it. They it's a very hard. It's not necessarily believing it. It's you know you you spent thousands of years where it never happened, right? So you're saying who's to say that it's going to happen now? You know. I know. I I think that we just have to always remember that we don't know what it's like. To be in a society where you have no knowledge about the past. See, right now we're over, over, like you know, like right now I can tell you that Pete Buttigieg was wearing dress shoes yesterday when he went to um, uh, Palestine, Palestine, Ohio, instead of wearing work shoes because both Fox News. And other online sources showed the pictures that he did, wasn't wearing, you know, regular boots. He was wearing, like, dress shoes because we are over, over newsed. You know what I mean? So we know about every nonsense all over the place. But the, the Jews in World War II, I mean, prior to World War II, they had no knowledge of what was going on. I just think it's an important concept because otherwise you could ask that question. Okay, let's go to the next thing. Yud Beis. I, I want to talk a little bit about, in general, I, I think, I don't know if we should first talk about the big party and why it was such a terrible phenomenon and that that's why. Maybe we should do that for a minute and then we're going to go over a little bit about the story itself. So, the Jews, the whole reason for Purim, according to the whole reason was because of the Avera, right? Because of the big sin that we did, right? What do we do? What do we do? Either the party with Goyim, first look, Goyim. It wasn't the Goyim. I mean, it was Goyim, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was like this. I think that we we, we don't really focus on it in terms that we can understand and, and get, get really into. And we have to understand that Mordechai was a total outsider in this, uh, I mean, he was a total on the other side of all the other rabbis, and I'm sure there were a few that agreed with him, but the Gemara talks about it, which we'll learn. You have this person, his name is Achashverosh. Achashverosh, who, or in English, he's known as Xerxes. You first you have the Babylonians, they destroy the base of Mikdash. After the Babylonians come the Persians, okay? There was a tradition, and everybody knew about this tradition. Everybody knew that the second temple was going to be rebuilt after 70 years. The, the exile was going to end after 70 years. There was a man, his name was Cyrus the Great, and Cyrus allowed for the Beis HaMikdash to start to be rebuilt. 
but because of the Good Samaritans, that's where, that's where the word Good Samaritan comes from, the Samaritans went and told Cyrus that the Jews planned to rebel against him, and therefore he stopped allowing the Jews to rebuild the second base on Mikdash. Seventy years later, from the begin, seventy years from the time of destruction, Achashverosh was in the middle of rule, and he decided, and he was wrong by three years. But he, dis, which is, uh, the Gemara discusses how he could be off by three years. But the bottom line is, Achashverosh decides that that you know this prophecy didn't come true, and therefore I am safe. You know, I am safe. I got nothing to worry about because the Jew, the Goyim at that time, they knew that there was something going on. You got to understand, there were prophets then. There was a person called Daniel, you know, who was who was alive at that time. Daniel was thrown into the lions, and the, I mean, it's like all you know. They they knew what was going on. So this Achashverosh guy, he wasn't a jerk. He was a jerk, but he. See, that's the problem. He wasn't a jerk, but he he uh, he, he was an evil person, but he understood that there was such a prophecy. Seventy years later, on Mikdash. So he makes a giant party. He makes a super orgy party. Super orgy party. But the purpose of the orgy party is to is to celebrate the destruction of the on Mikdash. And the Jews had a problem. The food was kosher, it was glat kosher, there was no problem. It says in the verse that he did everything according to what everybody wanted. It had the best hashkachas, it had the badats of, of Tehran, with the badats of, Sh- of Shushan all on the same thing. They had, they had, they had people giving Devar Torahs, they would have had dafyomi there if there was dafyomi at the time. It was a from everything. He was very mocked because he wanted everybody to be at this party, this orgy party. You may think about it. He's inviting. If anybody ever had a taiva to see pornography, nobody in the normal realm of the world has a taiva for other people to see their wives or their daughters in pornography. You understand? So when he goes and he says, do you want to see my wife? And they say, well, only if she comes naked. And he says, no problem, baby. We're going to go and bring her out naked. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind does that. But they didn't, But there was a thing. This is a big, giant orgy party. Okay. Well, what were they doing? They were celebrating the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. So I'm going to put that into terms, which is a little bit uncomfortable, but that's really, if you think about it, that's what this was all about. They need lighting. So imagine that Germany, Chas Shalom, would have won the war. And you all know probably that Prague, the great synagogue in Prague that was the Maharal's synagogue, was supposed to be used as a museum for the Jewish dead, the the, the, the dead Jewish, um, the culture of the Jews that were all destroyed. That's why he didn't destroy the Prague synagogue. That that was the reason why it's still there, because he decided that's going to be, he meaning Hitler, Machimo, decided that that's going to be the museum. Nobody's going to know there were Jews. That's what he decided to do. Imagine, God forbid, he won. And he decided, for whatever political purposes, that he's going to let the Jews in America 
survive. Whatever the reason that he had his nonsense, that's what he decides to do. And they decide that on the day that Auschwitz and Treblinka were built, that's going to be the day of a major party. Okay? Major party. The day that Auschwitz and Treblinka were even built. The day that they started the crematorium and the executions. That's going to be the day that we have a massive party, and that's the day we're going to celebrate. Now, you need lighting. Anybody knows you need lighting. So what we're going to do is we're going to take um, lights, and we're going to use the shades from Auschwitz, which is human skin, right? You know that. You do know, you do know that, right? That the Nazis made shades out of people's skin, Jewish people's skin. So what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, put that in all the all over the place. And what we're going to do is we're going to put, we need soap in every bathroom. So we're going to use the soap from Auschwitz, which was made out of human, human bodies, right? Jewish bodies. We're going to put that in each place. We're going to have breakout rooms because every time you have a big, a big place, you always have breakout rooms with, with videos and movies on all the walls. And it's going to be from all the Holocaust movies that you like, basically want to puke when you see and you can't handle it. That's what we're going to do in the background. But everybody's going to have Glock kosher. And everybody's going to have everything because what we're celebrating... Oh, by the way, in the, the centerpiece is going to be um, a plant or flowers, but in the human ashes from the, uh, from the crematoria. That's what we're going to do. And that's what he's going to have there. Now, do you attend this event or do you not? So Mordechai said, I'm not going to that event. I'm not going to have a part of that. This is about the destruction of the Jewish people. I'm not going. The other rabbis, the other people said, you got to be PC, man. You got to be politically correct. How do you not go? How do you not go if Biden wants to invite you to something? I'm not comparing Biden. I, I didn't mean it like that. I meant that he's like, this is, how do you not go? This is what was going on. This was what was going on. And the Jews were furious with Mordechai because Haman was really angry. And he got, Ahasuerus says, I'm now going to kill all the Jews because you didn't come to the party. Right? That's what this is all about. So you have to just put that into perspective as to what kind of party this is and why he was doing this and why Mordechai didn't want to go to it. I mean, have you, did you ever think of it in this way? I'm just, um, you, like, you ever think of the big party in that way? It's pretty dastardly. But yeah, it's pretty nasty. So, so with that in mind, with that in mind, that's how we saw it. What do you do? Do you do you do you give in to the evil? Do you bow down to the evil because it's safer, or do you say no? I'm not going to do that, no matter what, no matter what. I'm not doing that. That was the, that was the the thing. And the Jews, they went to the party. They went to the party. We succumbed. So eventually we get out of it. But that was the underlying issue. So now let's go through through some good morning. Anybody have any questions or any thoughts? I'm sorry if I got you a little bit nauseous. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I, I'm sorry. Okay. So so let's go through on page Yud Beis. You're talking about the party a little bit here. Yeah, let's do this over here. Uh, let's go uh, 
three lines from the bottom. Gam vashti hamalka osamishta noshin beis hamalchus. Vashti also made a little party. Achashverosh has got his party where the men are like looking over at all. You're not going to be able to look it out tonight because you're not going to be able to. But but Achashverosh is making his party with the Playboy centerpieces, right? Let's skip from the uh, crematorium and now we'll go to the other part of it. And she's making, based on Nosh, it should say that she's making a party for the women, but it doesn't say that because she was Amaravish, namely Kavnu. They both were thinking about doing Averis, you know? So he's going and buying Playboy, and she's going and buying Playgirl. There was such a thing. I don't think they have it anymore. Hanu da Amri Inchi. This is where that old saying goes. Iu Bikeri, the Isai Babotsina, which is, I'll read you the exact, because it's like it's better in the way they translate it sounds better, which is he with large pumpkins and his wife with small pumpkins, meaning they were both evil. They both wanted to do. Averas. They made this party because they wanted to have legalized, legitimized orgies and sex. That's what they were up to. So she was going to do it, Miss Vashti and Achashverosh. So now the Gemara says, it's, it's an amazing story. You probably know this, but it's worthwhile learning it inside. It says, Beyom Hashvi, on the seventh day, Ketov Lev HaMelech Bayayin. When his heart was filled with liquor, with wine. Anybody here ever drink a lot of wine? Oh, yeah. It takes seven days? No. <laughs> Doesn't take seven days to start. As a matter of fact, after seven days, you're probably ready to puke a lot. But, but no. Okay, I'm not a drinker. No, so. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a drinker. But, but it doesn't take seven days to get, to get, to get soused, right? It doesn't. No. So the more ask that. What, it takes seven days? It doesn't take seven days. So why did, why does it say that it took him at seven days when his heart was filled? That's when this whole escapade took place. It was on Shabbos. The, all the Jews are there. And what, by the way, it's another thing. What are they doing there then? But it's the same thing. They felt that politically they had to go there. You know, they had to, this is the right thing to do. We have to, we have to be politically correct to the... You know, the Chancellor of Germany wants us to come to, to visit, you know, got to go. Amar Rava, so Rava says, you know what, the seventh day, Yom HaShvi Shabbos First of all, he's going to tell us something about sociology, about Jews, that it's Shabbos. And Shei Yisrael Ochli Bishosim, you know, when Jews eat and drink, Maschilim B'divrei Torah, B'divrei Tishbachos, when Jews... When Jews eat and drink, what do they do? They make Kiddush, and they say a little Dvar Torah, and then they make stupid jokes. But they start with something. There's some level of, of purity in some way. There's some boundaries. But people who are idol worshippers, when they get plastered, they just 
get themselves involved with nonsense. The same thing at this party. What happened? It, I read this, it sounds like fifth grade, okay? Or maybe not fifth grade, it's more like like junior high, high school, okay? Halalu Omri Midyos knows. One group of men were saying the people, the women from Midian, they they are the ones who are beautiful. Let's not let's not play games. They are the beauties. Halalu Omri Parsos knows. And another group was saying the Persians, they're the ones. Now listen to the words that Akashverosh uses. I, I think that this would be like the ultimate for a, a real feminist. This is like what he says now. The words that he uses to describe his wife are just so, so on such a high spiritual plane. He says, I remember he's the king. It's not only he's like he's he he's the king. Even if a king is nothing intellectually, but you have to hold yourself. He says, uh, the translation is, the vessel that I personally use, right? That's how he describes her. The kli, the vessel that I personally, that I, I personally use. She's not Midian, below Parsoi. She's not Persian. Ella Kazdi, she happens to be a Chaldean, okay? That's a different, that uh, Chaldea is northeastern Iraq. So that's where she's from. Ritzonchem Liroso, you want to see her? That's like a little baby. He's like, who talks like that? You would never, can, you can't imagine, you would never do that. You'd never say to your buddies, I mean, maybe when you totally, you got to be so drunk to tell your buddies, you want to see my wife? And they say, Amrulaham in. They say, yeah, sure, we'd love to see your wife, of course. But as long as she's naked. If she's naked, then of course we want to see her. That's, all, that's the deal, right? So normal men, what would they say? No. Try to tell your wife that you want her to come. I mean, it's like it's ridiculous. But there's a message here. Why does this happen? Why does this happen to this woman? On it's just too much for him. Why? What? Why does it happen to this specific woman on Shabbos? Right. That's the Kumar's question. Because it's a strange thing. It's a strange story. The whole story is strange. It's a whole strange... Even in, I, in the army in Iraq, they didn't do this. It's a strange It's a strange thing. And the Gemara is telling us that this is all orchestrated by the master of the universe because of the ruling that God made on this earth called Mida Kineged Mida. The way you act is the way you get it back. So God made it that there was this whole thing that this giant party takes. Again, I said before that there's two things when it comes to Bechira, a freedom of choice. Two things happen simultaneously at all times. You have the personal freedom, which is taking place. That's true. And that's where, that's where Ahasuerus is having his personal freedom of acting like a buffoon and a bad husband and an evil person and a female abuser and all that, right? 
And you have the society, you have the people with him who act in the same way. But at the same time, you have a, 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 a worldly change in events because now, now uh, what's her name, Vashti, is going to get her head cut off and she's no longer going to be the queen and it's going to be a Jew is going to get in the middle of the story and there's going to be a base on Mikdash that's going to be built because, because, because Esther has a little baby whose name is Darius, and he's the one who builds the, the second base on Mikdash. So the whole, so you have two things that are happening simultaneously. So this whole story happens because of this idea of Mida connected Mida. The way you act is the way you get it back. What happened? The way that a person acts. God pays you back. I'm sorry, we'll just stop in a minute. What did Vashti do? The evil Vashti. So she got Jewish women. She got. She, she, she enslaved Jewish women. And she made them work naked. That she had a she had basically a nudist colony in her in her house. That was, you know, for women only. That they, I don't even know if that's true. It just says that the women had to be naked. Maybe they were men, maybe not. And she made them work on Shabbos. So therefore, therefore, what happens? Therefore, that just like this is how she acted, that's why it happened. It happened on Shabbos because of what she did. And why we know this famous story, why didn't she want to go? So the Gemara says, Michli Havi. She was looking to have sex with people. She was very proud of walking around the, with, uh, with nothing. So what, what? all of a sudden she became Mrs. Prude? That's, that's what happened? No. Amar Rabbi Yosef, what happened? Rabbi Chanina, I'm sorry, Amar Rabbi Yosef Bar Chanina, Rabbi Yosef Bar Chanina said, Malamed, we learned Sheparcha Batsaras. That she came down at that moment, God punished her with 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 leprosy, which is basically she had a giant rash all over her body. She's not going to go and expose herself. If anybody that uh, Gabriel came and put a tail on her, you know, everybody knows you have the coccyx bone back there, which is the tail, and it's got bigger. Anything can happen. Anything could happen. So her tail got big. She grew a tail. She freaked out probably. That's the story a little bit. We'll continue next week. So why does it say... I understand why it happened on Shabbos, but why does it say that Ahasuerus, that at that point he got drunk? Oh, well, you want to know because they wouldn't have done it normally. Why would he never make a part Why, how in the world would he ever go... Obviously, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons. It's nothing which is just, it's not, even the even what she says to him, because we didn't do that Gemara, she says to him, you know, she says to him, you're a, sta- a, sta- uh, a, a stable boy, because your father, you, he, he used to work in the stables. He, he wasn't born from aristocracy. He just took it over for money. And she just like ripped him for being a drunken bum, you know?